Hello everyone, this is Get Your Goat with your host, Josh Morani. Great show, a lot to get into. The Bucks collapse to the Nets. CP3 entering health and safety protocols over COVID-19. Kawhi with a possibly torn ACL be out game 5 and possibly longer. What does LeBron have to say about this? What about KD? Vegas Golden Knights, I was right. And then the U.S. Open starts tomorrow for golf. I'm going to make my predictions and some of the things that I agree with that Rory McIlroy brought up in his uh, press session. So let's get right into it. A lot to get into. But first, I've got to touch on something that irked me, and that is surrounding quarterback Derek Carr of the Las Vegas Raiders. Yesterday, in a press conference after training camp, said that he would quit football if he had to play anywhere else. He said that uh, he's just that loyalty in him, that he has that one-team mentality, kind of that old-school way where you play for one team and that's it. Really? That's the mentality? What old-school mentality are you thinking? What old-school mentality? Tom Brady is old-school. He didn't finish with the New England Patriots that he started with. Peyton Manning was old-school. He didn't finish with the Indianapolis Colts, did he now? What about Joe Montana? Did he finish with the San Francisco 49ers? No, he didn't. Drew Brees, did he finish with the Chargers? No, he did not. So really... I do get the loyalty one team mentality that people have, but come on now. And I was just talking about NFL. I could bring up a ton of NBA players that did the same. MLB players that go elsewhere. It's no big deal, Derek Carr. You just like it in Las Vegas because you're there paying you a ton of money to suck. And you know you wouldn't get that value anywhere else. Why? Because the Raiders would be better off if you quit. The Raiders would be thankful that if to get you out of their lives. That they would love if you were to not play for them anymore. Because frankly, you're not a good quarterback. You're not. You're not amongst the greats. You're in a tough division. With Patrick Mahomes and you are not the guy to deliver and come back and make game-winning drives. You're not that guy. You signed a five-year, $125 million deal a few years ago that briefly made you the highest-paid quarterback in all of NFL. Five years, $125 million. If you just want to average that out, just based on every year, that's $25 million. A year. Of course, he didn't get that. A lot of that is 
up front, so he got a lot more money up front. But he had a lot of money on his deal. And what does he have to show for all that money? Not much. He's got 63 losses so far in his career. That number, that number 63, 63 losses are the most by a quarterback ever in NFL history in their first seven seasons. You can say Derek Carr has been worse than any other quarterback in the whole NFL history in their first seven seasons. You want to compare every NFL player first NFL you want to compare every NFL player's first seven seasons, just quarterbacks, Derek Carr would be the worst. So really, it should be the Raiders who are fired up about this. Uh, Derek Carr is committing highway robbery on the Las Vegas Raiders. That's what he's doing. He doesn't care how he plays, if wins or not. He just is collecting a paycheck at the end of the day. And when that contract runs out, I guarantee the Las Vegas Raiders will not sign him to any more lucrative contracts. And he will never get another lucrative contract in his life after what he did to the Raiders. Yes, he showed hope. He showed promise in his first couple seasons, which is why they gave him his contract. They gave it to him based on hope, not on results, not on anything. Hope alone. Patrick Mahomes won a Super Bowl before he got a deal. His deal was based on results. Not Derek Carr's. No playoff appearances for him. Just hope that he can be great. And what did hope do to the Raiders? Well, they handed Derek Carr this nice contract. Derek Carr stabbed the Raiders in the back with a lot of lackluster performances in his career and 63 losses to go with it. So he is just robbing the Raiders of money, of time. And I say time because they invested time into this quarterback and they don't have a lot to show for either. So good for Derek Carr. He collects his money and he'll never have to work another day in his life when this contract was up. But the Raiders are fools. They've been played by a fool and Derek Carr himself. I don't think he's going to finish off his career in Las Vegas. And maybe he'll hold true to his word. Maybe he'll quit football if he had to play anywhere else. Because I guarantee in a lot of other places, right now in the NFL, he would not be the starter. And then, with that subject in mind, and that is training camp. Now, it seems like every year, training camp is made a big deal when it really shouldn't be made a big deal. Why? Because players are holding out for money, not showing up. 
And then you have these hefty fines that are then on the players. To me, the media blows this up even more than it should. But to me, the players sign a contract, they knowingly sign, at least they should know that they signed, saying, this is what encompasses what you have to do for us to get your money. One of those is training camp. So if you're making a ton of money or they excuse you, then it's no big deal. But in terms of players holding out, guess what? You can still go and perform. If you're holding out in a big contract, then shouldn't every penny count for you? Shouldn't that $93,000 that you get fined mean a lot if you're someone holding out? Shouldn't it? If you're holding out for more money because you deserve, you should have more, I'd be showing up at training camp saying, hey, I still want my money, but I'm going to make sure I milk you and take that 90 grand from you. I'm not just going to forfeit that money. To me, that's just not good logic. And you can still show up and do whatever you want. You can show up. You can run your man. You can run off sides. Do whatever you want. But if you show up and are there, maybe do a play. Does it matter that much? Because you still collect your money at the end of the day. It's just those things that don't make sense to me. I mean, report to training camp. Do whatever you need to do to collect your money. It's not like you're playing, you know, game level quality, playoff quality football. Because most of those players that are holding out, you know, like the Xavier Howards of the world, none of them have been to the playoffs in their life and know what playoff football is about, but they want more money. Because what did I just say about Derek Carr? A lot of players want money with results that aren't proven yet. Yes, Xavier had one fantastic season, 10 interceptions, great cornerback, but he had one terrific terrific season that was amongst the greats one season and that's all you get to me you have to prove yourself at least a couple seasons to get that recognition you're a breakout star you need to add more to the resume than just a year's worth of work my good friend now moving off the topic of the NFL, to the NBA. I didn't know what to start with, so I thought I'd just start in order chronologically that happened, and that is the Milwaukee Bucks last night losing to the Brooklyn Nets. I said previously that Kevin Durant would have to be great in this game with no Kyrie. He had James Harden, but I'll get to that in just a second. But he had to be great in order to will this team to a win and win this team because you know Giannis will show up and get his points, but KD has to be spectacular. And KD went scorched 
earth last night with a 49-point triple-double. He wanted that 50-piece, but he didn't get it. 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists. That is a great performance. And by the way, he shot 70% from the field and 44% from three. That is as efficient as one can get with that triple-double. And he did that with James Harden. But James Harden was a former shell of himself. Playing 46 minutes, I don't think his hamstring was fully right. Because he shot 1 for 10 from the field. 10%? 0 made 3-pointers. One of the greatest scorers of all time, James Harden. One of the 3-point specialists. 5 points, 0 3-pointers made. He was terrible. He was just taking up floor space for 46 minutes. A superstar. An MVP. And you're just walking up and down the court providing nothing? Well, it didn't matter. You got lucky. I mean, you didn't get lucky because Kevin Durant had a spectacular game where he played every single minute. Wasn't on the bench once to catch his breath when we, his teammates were playing. He was there the whole time, scoring the whole time. And he had a wingman, not in James Harden, but in Jeff Green, who delivered as well with 27 points, made seven three-pointers off the bench. That is what Kevin Durant needed. That's what this team needed. As you had a total of three starters combined for 12 points. Joe Harris, three-point specialist who a lot of people would thought he'd be relied on to score points, did not shot a meager 18% from the field and 14% from three. So he was, he was quite bad. He was quite bad. Only five points. Uh, Brown as well, two points. James Harden, five points. And then two bench players, zero points. Shamet, nine points. So really, it was Kevin Durant willing his team to a win. How great was he? He was great. He was spectacular. But Giannis, where were you at when your team needed you the most? Yes, you were offensively. You were just what you needed to be, 34 points. Did Chris Middleton perform at a super high level? No, but he had 25 points shooting 30% from three. Not great for him, but it was just all right. But this is what I mean. P.J. Tucker was called on to guard Anthony Davis. I mean, to guard Kevin Durant every possession which because he extended all this effort in guarding Kevin Durant, he ended up with zero points. A starter with zero points, but he did an all right job on Kevin Durant in the first half. I thought it could he can contain him. But the second half is when Kevin Durant really erupted and took the game over. And I say this to Giannis, because Giannis is one defensive player of a year, one year removed. <laughs> 
from winning Defensive Player of the Year, winning MVP, been All-NBA Offense, first-team All-NBA Offense, All-NBA first-team Defense. So he's supposed to be the best two-way player in the game right now. He's supposed to be the one who can score 30 buckets or score 30 points and then lock down the opposing player. I don't know if this was Coach Bud for the Bucks calling this or not, but Giannis, you have got to man up and say, I am not going to let Kevin Durant do this to my team, to my players. Giannis needed to step up, and he just didn't. On the defensive end, he did not step up, and then he wasted away a great pass by Chris Middleton to him, which would have been a dunk to tie up a game at 109, and he just fumbled the ball out of his hands, just lost control. It was credited to Kevin Durant's deal, but it was the fault of Giannis Antetokounmpo that they ultimately lost this game. It was a combination of Kevin Durant, I'd say more Kevin than bad Giannis, but Giannis has not one clutch bone in his whole body. We talk about the clutchness of Michael Jordan, uh, LeBron James, uh, you know Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, but not Giannis. Never in my life could somebody tell me that Giannis is a clutch player. If somebody were to tell me that Giannis was a clutch player, uh, that player, that person would be Pinocchio, and you know I'd see their nose growing because that would be the biggest horse rubbish ever that Giannis is a clutch player. He is not at all. Uh, Very evident last night, and to me it's evident that they could lose this series now because of him. Will it go to a Game 7? It could be. It's back in Milwaukee. Do I expect James Harden to be that horrible as he was? No. Do I expect Jeff Green to be as great as he was? No. So I do think things will balance out. But it's up to Giannis to guard Kevin Durant if he's going to put up a 50-piece triple-dub on your team. You've got to stop that. Then Giannis can say, oh, I'm a two-time MVP. Oh, I'm great. But after the game, he can say, KD, you know, he's the best player on the planet. He can say that because he observed greatness. He did. Everybody observed greatness on television. But he can say it because he had P.J. Tucker guarding him. I'm going to throw P.J. Tucker into the flame saying the best player on the planet obliterated you. And I am happy that it was not me. Now, I just want to make this case because I do feel like Kevin Durant is one of the best players in the game today. To me, he's top five. I always said that. To, to me, best player on the planet, that encompasses what you have done overall. So to me, LeBron is still number one. I'd still take Steph Curry over KD. But he is great. But you want to act and put things that... LeBron James has done, which he's had a choke job in the 2011 NBA Finals, and we act like Kevin Durant has never had a choke job. You know, you know, he lost to Golden State and joined them. You know, which was uh, bad, but 
he lost a 3-1 series lead. He choked himself. So he has that collapse as well. The first game, Oklahoma City won. Let's take a trip down memory lane. Oklahoma City won the first game of that 2016 Western Conference Finals. Beat Golden State 108-102. Who was the leading scorer? Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook had a double-double that game. The second game. A loss, 118-91. to Kevin Durant was the leading scorer. Russell Westbrook, though, again, had a double-double. So the series is 1-1. The third game goes to Oklahoma. Kevin Durant plays great. Russell Westbrook, another double-double, plays great. 2-1 series lead for Oklahoma. Game 4. Oklahoma City wins again. Russell Westbrook with another double-double leads his team in points. So, out of four games, Russell Westbrook has led the team in points twice. Two of those being wins. Kevin Durant's 1-1 one one in that category. Pivotal Game 5 of the Thunder can close him out any game from here on out. Kevin Durant drops 40 in a losing effort. Russell Westbrook wasn't that spectacular that game. He was good, but he could have been better. Then Game 6. Golden State won 108 to 101 and Kevin Durant was good not great struggled even though he had 29 points and Clay Thompson had a playoff night to remember with 41 points then again game four is where Kevin Durant really struggled had 27 points but he just was not good and their team still had the lead and to me Kevin Durant being this great player, you can't let Klay Thompson in Game 6 in your own building drop 41 points on you. That's where you have to be as a man. Step up and say, I'm guarding him. This is my responsibility. I am shutting this thing down. So that's what the trip I wanted to take you down on is to remind you. You may say Kevin Durant is the best player on the planet. But let's put some context on that. Because every time we make the call on LeBron to be the best player of the planet, we have to be reminded of all the mistakes that he's made on the court and uh, flails that he's had. But when we anoint Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard, we act like they have never done anything wrong. Or last time I checked, LeBron's never blown a 3-1 series lead in his life. He's overcome a 3-1 series deficit. But he hasn't done that. You know, Kawhi Leonard has blown a 3-1 series lead. Paul George, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. So please pump the brakes. And if you want to talk about best player on the planet, look at the whole body of work. Look at everything before you go saying things best player on the planet. Because it seems to change after every game. It does. It gets tiring. Donovan Mitchell has a great game. Great two games against the Utah Jazz. He's the best player on the planet. 
Kevin Durant drops this game against the Bucks. Kevin Durant is the best player on the planet. I mean, how many times does this planet rotate? I mean, it seems to me it's every day, and it's every day there's a new best player on the planet. It's just mind-boggling to me that every day there seems like there's a new best player on the planet. It's Luka Doncic. Look what he did against the Clippers. Oh my goodness, look at what Kawhi just did to Luka. Kawhi is overtaking him. Oh, Donovan Mitchell just did this to Kawhi. It's, it's Donovan now. Oh, Paul George, look at him. He's great. It's Paul George. Oh, it's Kevin Durant now after this game. It seems to change every minute. Can we please consistently have a best player on the planet? Look at the body of the work and just say, hey, it's LeBron right now. Until he retires, then we can just put a new best player on the planet. But nobody can really catch him in terms of best player on the planet. Who do you want on your team for a Game 7 winner take all? I take LeBron. That's how I know he's the best player of a planet because 10 out of 10 times, I would take LeBron. Moving on. Then after that, Chris Paul entered health and safety protocols, uh, likely COVID-19 diagnosis. He'll be out for a little bit, depending on the negative tests and things that result from them. And also this Jazz Clippers series, that's still ongoing. But if he misses time, like the first couple of games of a series, how big of a deal is it? That is a very big deal. To me only, if he plays a Jazz. If he plays a Jazz and he's out a couple games, that, to me, spells doom all over the Phoenix Suns, and it is over for them. It is a Jazz win, one, two, three, four. But if somehow the Clippers pull it out, then you could be missing Kawhi. Then it's kind of an even edge. I'd, I'd like the Suns in that series. But no matter what, it's a big loss because of the way that what he brings to the game, the way he can just see the floor better than anybody else, make the right play, the correct play, Time and time again, whether it's him pulling up on a little short mid-range jumper or passing it to Devin Booker or Jay Crowder, he seems to make the right play time and time again or control the tempo for the team. He knows when to push it offensively, and he knows when to slow it down as well. And that's really what makes him great because he's not that scoring threat even though he just dropped Fort 37, you don't expect him to drop that many points night after night. So yes, this is a big deal for the Suns if he can't come back. Uh, start of the first games of the conference finals. But what is an even bigger deal is Kawhi Leonard missing Game 5, possibly the series even longer with his knee injury. They said it is a sprained ACL. Could it be torn? Uh, They're still looking into that. But to me, that is the biggest deal. Why? Because he is another top five player in the league. He is 
big time. He is the leader of this Clippers team on and off the court. And even though he's been there at times in the playoffs, there's been times where it's looked like he is not there. But more times than not, he will show up and give you his all when he is on the court. One of the best two-way players. But now with him being out to me, the Clippers run is over. The Jazz are taking the series over because Kawhi is the calming force that can drop 30 on you and just look down the best player defensively right in his eyes, stare him down, and lock him down. That's what Kawhi Leonard does. That's what he brings to the team. He brings a calming sort of intensity uh and he just plays the game efficiently and well so that losing him for the series is the end of this series for the Clippers because he's the alpha of the team. He's the one who makes a run. He's the superstar. He's star 1A, whatever you want to say about Kawhi. He's a two-time champion, two-time finals MVP. You can't replace that success, especially in the postseason where he has the most experience on this team. So losing him hurts so much, especially when Paul George is finding himself in this sort of point guard role for the team. So losing Kawhi hurts this team because now Paul George is asked to do even more for this team. And I just don't think that he can do it. But what did LeBron have to say about all this? Well, he was upset because of the injuries that have happened. And he said he was right. Not only is he King James, King LeBron James, he's also now Prophet LeBron James. He can see the future and he knows everything. He just knows every single outcome that's going to happen in the world of NBA. As he tweeted, he's saying, They all didn't want to listen to me about the start of the season. I knew exactly what would happen. I only wanted to protect the well being of the players, which ultimately is a product and benefit of our game. These injuries isn't just part of the game. End of quote. Then he tweeted again, and I quote, This is the best time of the year for our league and fans, but missing a ton of our favorite players. It's insane. If there's one person that knows about the body and how it works all year round. It's me. Speaking about himself, LeBron James. I speak for the health of all of our players, and I hate to see this many injuries this time of year. Sorry, fans. Wish you guys were seeing all your fave guys right now. Praise emoji. Crown emoji. End of quote. 
LeBron's known it all along. He's known it. We should have listened to him. Adam Silver should have listened to him. Saying he knew it was a quick turnaround. Why would we start around Christmas? We should have started later. And he has a point. You have had a lot of injuries. Himself being injured. But then again, he blamed Solomon Hill for that. So was that a result of a quick turnaround? I don't know. What about Anthony Davis? Kawhi Leonard? Jamal Murray? Kyrie Irving? Kyrie Irving to me has had a lot of injury problems in the past, so I don't know if I count this one as that. What about James Harden? Kawhi Leonard has had injury history as well. Uh, he's the one with load management. He should be load managing these playoffs. Chris Paul has had a stinger. So, I mean, you make some exceptions. But to me, it is unfortunate. LeBron, but the conditioning was right. Uh, a lot of the players, like I mentioned, are kind of injury-prone guys. The Kyrie Irvings, uh, the Anthony Davis, the Kawhi Leonard has had problems with his knee before than Phillips, which is why he's load-managed. Chris Paul seems to have an injury every single playoffs. Kyrie's another injury-prone superstar. Same with Joel Embiid. He's had injuries as well. So really, it is a lot of injuries. But a lot of it is injury-prone players. And yes, it happens at the worst time. But let's just... Eliminate the fact that, you know, Adam Silver didn't do a good job. He wasn't looking out for the players and your well-being financially. Because when it's all said in LeBron, you shouldn't be the owner of a team. You should be the commissioner since you are the NBA. No wall. As i quoting what you said here, I knew exactly what would happen. It seems like every situation in the NBA, you know exactly what is going to happen. So to add to King James, Prophet James, soon you should be Commissioner James, Commissioner of the NBA. Now, moving to the games tonight, I will be picking two two email or two games. Uh the two games on tonight in the NBA. The first is the seventy sixers and the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks are traveling to play the Philadelphia 76ers. And this is a big game for Philly because they just had a monumental collapse in Game 4 when they were up. And with Joel Embiid out, nursing his slight meniscus tear in his knee where he couldn't make a bucket to save his life near the end, this team fell apart at the seams. But Atlanta didn't play much better shooting 37% from the field, so Philly's defense was there. It's just their offense could not close the game out. I do believe Philly's going to win tonight. Their offense is going to close the game out, even with a fully healthy Joel Embiid or not. They're going to do it tonight because this is their time. 
to show up because if they lose tonight, not only does it question the Sixers and this team, but you question Doc Rivers, who's now blown quite a few leads in the playoffs. Uh, this is could be a rough stretch, but I do believe Philly ekes out a win here. Now what about the Clippers and the Jazz? Well, as I just highlighted with Kawhi Leonard, I am now officially picking the Utah Jazz to win. And it's crazy because the Clippers seem to have all the momentum in this series. Uh, Just won two in a row at Staples. They've been the better team now. Can they steal the fifth game in Utah? To me, it was a 50-50 split. But the injury of Kawhi Leonard changes things monumentally. And now Utah is looking to put this away, win it tonight in five, and then just win another one in six. So this helps out Utah so much and just spells disaster, writes disaster all over the Clippers franchise and Clippers hopes for a championship this year. So I'm rolling with the Utah Jazz tonight. Now moving to the NHL. Last night the Islanders lost to the Lightning 4 to 2. I kind of expected that even though I predict the Islanders to win the series. I did think this was going to be a 6 game series and I expected Tampa Bay to fight back, and they did. Vasilevsky was much better this game. They came out firing, much more aggressive. Highlighted by Braden Point's spectacular goal on Varlamov. And Kucherov was involved early in this game. A power play got going as well. So really, bad, bad Islanders who put them on the power play too many times. Took quite a few penalties that just should not have happened. Couple misconducts as well. Uh, To me, they can be aggressive and they're a great aggressive team. The Islanders, when they're playing in check, last night they were unchecked, undisciplined. That's why they lost this game. Uh... Just did not look good. But I do expect the Islanders to rebound and play much better, much more disciplined than they did in a previous game because that's what gets them these wins is playing physical but being disciplined. Then... I was right about the Vegas Golden Knights winning that first game. I think I'm going to be right about the sweep. I'm staying strong with that. The Canadians looked like they didn't know what hit them. In that game, seeing all those crazy Vegas fans there. Flurry playing like the best goaltender in the NHL. Making stop after stop in that first period with Shea Theodore adding a brilliant goal, and it was all Golden Knights from there. 
It was, it was energetic. The stadium, Vegas was just feeding off that energy. And then not only did Shea Theodore score, but he also made a great assist as well on the second goal on his pass to Alec Martinez. It was just brilliant. Faked everyone out on the team. So this is Vegas at their best. I expect to see that same Vegas team from Monday night. Tonight, I expect Flurry to be on his game. Maybe Carey Price to be a little better. But if the Golden Knights offense is playing like they did when they're just controlling the puck, great fluid puck movement throughout all of them, then it is going to be hard for even the great Carey Price to stop these shots, but I am going with Vegas to win this game. Now, Barry Trotz, head coach of the Islanders, does have a reason to be upset, you know, after a missed call where the Lightning scored with six skaters on the ice. It was a blown call where Andre Palat did give his... Uh, players a 2-1 lead so I do feel for them though because they should have had that call should have been a penalty on the Islanders which would have negated the goal we don't know how that would have played out afterwards I still think the Lightning would have taken that game but that call should not have happened now I think he'll get a more generous call that the series is shifting to Nassau Coliseum, where the Islanders play, and that barn will be rocking. So I expect the Islanders to bounce back at home. Now moving on to the last topic, the U.S. Open. Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau have not been paired together. I don't think they'll see each other at all this weekend. They're historically not great at this venue at Torrey Pines, which is where the Farmers Insurance is held. I don't think Bryson's going to repeat. I don't think he has it in him. He hasn't been as great this year as he was last year. What would be great is seeing Phil Mickelson not only win back-to-back majors, but also complete the Grand Slam winning, the ever-elusive U.S. Open. Who do I think will win? I think I would take one of these four players over the field. I would take John Rahm, or John Ram, who is good at this venue, who's won this tournament before, not the U.S. Open, but the Farmers Insurance Open. Yes, conditions are tougher, but he's played good here. He's been playing great as well. Um, who knows what will happen now after the COVID diagnosis. But he looks fine. He's playing great. You have Brooks Kepka, who can never count out a majors, was great at the PGA, except for a lackluster Sunday. His knee's feeling better. How will he fare this coming week? Dustin Johnson, another one who hasn't been spectacularly great this year, but he shows up at the U.S. Open, it seems like, every year. I like Dustin, and the other player I like is Phil Mickelson. Just seems like it's destiny to watch him win, go out in the sunset, 
at the U.S. Open, at his hometown, Torrey Pines in California. I like it. I like it more than Xander Schauffele, who more people pick him to win a major than ever, and I never see him win anything, so I just can't go with him. So I like those four players, but if it's not one of those four, I don't expect it to be a big name, you know, such as a McElroy or a Spieth or a Justin Thomas or a DeChambeau. I do expect it to then to be kind of a no-namer in the tournament. Then Rory McIlroy bought up in his press conference today that green books should be banned. They should be disallowed forever. What are green books? Well, green books are those little booklets about the course that the players and caddies get to where it is a very detailed description of the course green slopes. McElroy says he is against using those books, and he says a lot of other players are as well. But you know who is a proponent of using those books? Bryson DeChambeau. On this, I am with McElroy. I am against using those books. Why? Because you can get a very good read of where to place a ball at when you're making your approach shot to the green. When you're putting, you can kind of see where the slope is going on the green, and it makes it easier to putt. Whereas with McElroy saying that if you get rid of those books, it nullifies that advantage. You know, having those books itself makes it to where you don't have to be able to read greens at all. And I agree, reading greens is a skill. I play golf with my father, my brother, and my brother says, I don't know which way the ball is going to go. He can't read a green to save his life. Uh, And I feel like a lot of players on the tour need that book, such as Bryson DeChambeau. And yes, as McElroy said, it will require more practice getting put in, require more time on the course beforehand to read those greens. But I agree, it is a skill. It's tough, but it pays off in having a little booklet I think should be banned that tells you where to putt. I'm with McElroy on this. Get rid of the books. Makes it fair for everybody to where most players then have to learn to read the greens properly. What else did McElroy decide to go off on? Well, that is kind of the anchor putters. You know, you said those were banned three years ago, but some of them are still using a longer version of a putter where the grip is kind of locked into your arm where we call it an arm lock putting technique where the top of the grip locks into your arm, inside arm, and it's kind of acting like an anchor in putting. Adam Scott says it feels more like an anchor putting technique using that kind of grip style and using that style more than his chest putter that he used to putt with uh, you know, seven years ago or something like that. So he says it's much better. So he's for that. Bryson DeChambeau is yet another one that uses this technique. And he was one of the worst putters in the tour. He started using this technique and he went to top 10. You tell me it doesn't work. Players use it. More players are adapting to it to see if they like it more. But I agree that is also something that should be eliminated 
so that everybody, you know, is on the same wavelength and has, you know, it's fair for everyone. So I am for what you said, Rory McIlroy. I'm against Bryson DeChambeau and both the green books being banned and then getting rid of that arm lock putting technique. It's good for the game, but I'm going to go not with Phil Mickelson because I didn't expect Phil Mickelson to win this tournament. Going in, I think Brooks Kepka is going to win it. He's going to get redemption because he's been close in a few majors since his last one in the 2019 PGA Championship. I think he's hungry and wants to win another one. I like Brooks in this one. That's it, folks. I'll talk to you more later. Bye, everybody.